This is Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. And it says, When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they had thus questioned him within themselves and said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. So the, um, these journals are basically on one side of the page is the text, and on the other side is a, uh, a blank page. Uh, and I think there are only a few left, which means uh, a lot of you took them. But I want you to take those. Um, we'll order more. Uh, that's a way for us to walk through the scriptures. Uh, you can bring them here. If you're in a community group, uh, we're going to be looking at those passages uh, for a while. And so uh, you can take those if you'd like. Uh, let me pray as we look into this passage here. And so, Father, we, um, we love you, and we come into this time uh, desiring um, to learn, to uh, learn more about who you are and the ways that that could affect our day-to-day lives. Um, but we don't just want information in our head today, God. Um, I pray today would um, be an experience Uh, an experience of your grace, an experience of your forgiveness, a way of maybe looking at you in a new light and thereby looking at ourselves in a new way. And so all the things that we've done so far, singing and hearing about ways to live out our mission, I just pray that you would be in our midst and that you would speak through um, these words in the text this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, from the very beginning of the Mark's gospel and, and really the start of our church, we, we said that we wanted a renewed and realistic um, vision of the person of Jesus. I would say that we live in a very confusing time about who Jesus is, what he came to do. We come from various religious backgrounds. Um, we have different denominational bents and different ideas. And Jesus really just seems to elude our understandings. And so the, the start of the series, we kind of framed it up this way, is that we want to start asking really basic questions. Who's Jesus? How did Jesus live? What did Jesus teach? Is Jesus who he said or claimed to be? And does Jesus still matter? 
And one of the things that I said early on um, in our gatherings is that Mark um, is writing so quickly. Like, there, are, there is uh, a lot of information, but not a lot of details. And so we're getting a really fast pace. And so I think it was the first week I said, I want, I want us in, in this time on Sunday mornings in our teaching to gaze at the super fast, super slow. And so it's like uh, the 100-meter dash. Uh, if you were to watch that, um, maybe you watched Usain Bolt, uh, it's 10 or 11 seconds. Like, it just happens so fast. And so what do you do as soon as it's over? The TV gives you multiple replays, right? You get to see what happened super fast, and you get to look at it super, fl- super slow. And so who got off the block first? What was the technique like? Who finished? And you, you literally have to um, look at it in slow motion to see who won the race. And so for what we're reading is happening at this sort of breakneck speed, we have to slow down. We have to study and gaze and contemplate and put the time in to get a clear picture. And that's what we've been doing through Mark. We've been saying, how do we slow down and say, who is this Jesus and what did he come to do? It was Voltaire who said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay him the favor ever since, Right? We've, God created us in his image, and we are in the process of creating God in our image. And so we actually need to pause there and say, well, how do we, how do we navigate that? How do we um, look at Jesus for who he really is? Because if not, he sort of looks like a nicer version of us, right? He's a, he's a more idyllic version of us. Like when we think about, like if we were to close our eyes and think about who is Jesus, we're like, Jesus is white, he's much nicer than I am, and we've sort of domesticated him, right, into this figure, into this way of being that probably is an idealized version of ourselves. And my hope in some ways is that by going slow in this way, we're actually getting a real vision of who he is, what he came to do, what he cares about. And so I hope it's been both inspiring to you, but also challenging. I really sat for probably an hour this week and just reflected, what, what has this been like for me? And one of the things that I've noticed about myself in going slow and reading these passages over and over and over again, it's that it's almost like, um, you know when like couples renew their vows? I feel like that's what it's been like for me with Jesus is like a, a vow renewal where I'm understanding you again, um, Jesus. I'm spending time with you. And the thing that really, really grasped me this week is that everything Jesus did, his mission, came out of his identity. Everything about the way he lived and, and acted was out of this love that he has from the Father in this baptism moment. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Jesus is so loved, and so he has the ability to love other people. And that's how we get this real vision of who, who Jesus is, especially in the beginning of Mark's gospel. It's really important to grasp. These are like big things that are going to linger all throughout uh, the book. And what I'm finding for me is like the more that I spend time doing this, the more that um, I don't try and create this image of Jesus, I actually am, am starting to become more like him in, in small ways. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, my dad had this tool. It's, it's called a chalk line. Um, does anybody know what these are? Um, you use it um, to score cement or to create a straight line. And so it's like this little device. It looks like a, um, like a fishing rod. And so you take this, this rod, this reel, and it has a string inside of it, and you put chalk in it. And it's really dry chalk. You, you close it up in there, and then you shake it. And then when you pull the line out, it's, you know, whatever color the chalk is, and you were to put it up against the cement, you lay it on the ground, um, you get it real tight, two people need to hold it, and then you snap it. 
and, it, and then you pick it up, and it obviously creates that straight line. And what, it, what a chalk line does is it creates a guide, right? A guide to what is true. It's going to create that, that straight line for you. And I feel like that's what this um, season has been like for me is I'm seeing a guide, right? I'm seeing a way of being that straight. I might not always be kind of on the straight line, but I'm seeing a way of being that matters. And so that's uh, the vision of Jesus that we want to have. And then in Mark chapter 2, um, uh, scholars actually call this the controversy dialogues. And so there's five dialogues that take place here. And so it, it sort of takes our vision of Jesus and says, okay, everything you knew in chapter 1 is about to get turned upside down. And here's what happens in chapter 2. We have a boundary crossing Jesus. He forgives the unforgivable. He accepts the unacceptable. He gives old ways, new realities. And then he begins to show that he's above authority. And if you go into chapter 3, verse 6, this is where this section ends. It says this, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And so even as early as like chapter 2, chapter 3 of Mark's gospel, they're like, we're going to kill this guy. Because Jesus is that controversial. He is that kind of person. And so... What we're finding is that the Bible is, uh, and, and these passages are kind of like that chalk line, or maybe another way to think about it is like the Bible is often like a mirror. You're reading it, but it's actually reading you, right? It, it's a way of navigating that something is examining you. And when, as we come to this story today, uh, it, it's, such a, it's such a goofy story in a lot of ways, but uh, it's the kind of story that you hold up to yourself like a mirror, and you begin to um, recalibrate based on what it's telling you. And I think what, uh, if we do this the right way today, you'll find yourself in the story. Um, it has a way of kind of reading you in that way. So here's, here's what happens. And it's in your bulletin. If you kind of want to follow along, I'm going to kind of walk uh, through this story in that way. And so Jesus returns to uh, Capernaum. And we said this last week. But Capernaum is this place where Jesus has, has found a level of ministry success right? His name is becoming very well known. Crowds are following him. He's done a lot of healings in this region. And the crowds um, are like really drawing up on Jesus. And it's, there's this little funny phrase, I think it's in verse two, it says, and Jesus was at home. And this is a big debate amongst scholars, was Jesus literally at his house? Was, was like, did they tear the roof off of Jesus's house? And, and then uh, in, in the text, it says, son, you are forgiven. And some are like, yeah, he's saying, son, you're forgiven because you just tore the roof off my house. And like, I was like, no, I don't, I don't think that's actually what it is. I think after a, a lot of studying, I think this is probably Peter's home, uh, Peter the disciple. And so Jesus is in Capernaum, and we find these four friends that want to bring this paralyzed man to this rabbi they've been hearing about, right? The teacher, the healer, Jesus. Jesus is on a mission to uh, establish his kingdom, heal and restore. And he's already done a ton of healings. And I think these four friends are like, we heard about this man and we have this friend that's in need. Let's get our friend to Jesus. And so they make their way to this house. And what do we find out? The, the house is just absolutely packed. Houses in this time would have been a lot like our apartments. Like you could fit 30, 40, 50 people in there, but like you're cramming people into this house. The text says that uh, literally people are like spilling out into the doorway. And so everyone has this crazy, maybe even obnoxious, but persistent friend that's like, oh, we can't go through the front door. And they just like look around really quick, quick and they're just like, what about the roof, right? Like that's like, that's like the go-to. 
And roofs in this time would be like, um, like made of thatch, and so it's like vegetation, clay and mud, like sculpted together, pounded together, and then they would pitch them just a little bit so the water could run off because water was such a valuable resource in this region that it would have to be this sort of stucco that they could keep the water. And so they're like, we're going to go up there. And so if it's, if it's thatch in that way and they're going to tear off the roof, it's probably going to make a mess. Everyone is definitely going to know, but they head up there and they have this sort of persistence or this determination. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get our friend on this, this stretcher and this mat. We're going to rip a hole in the ceiling and then we're just going to start to lower our friend. Like if this happens in 2021, this is making it on the What Is New York Instagram like every single time, right? And there's this, I don't know, I, may, I don't know if it was awkward or what, but Jesus is like, third point of his sermon or whatever, and all of a sudden, the paralyzed man is just like being lowered down. And I have so many questions. I have so many questions, right? Was this distracting? Was this uh, uh, potentially dangerous to the structure of um, the building, right? Uh, Whose home is this? If it's Peter's home, is he pissed off? Like somebody's, you know, cutting a hole in my roof. I'm pretty mad about that, right? Mark is so uninterested in details. Like, we get nothing. We have, we have no details here. It's just like he lowered him. It's like, okay, whatever. I guess this is what's going to happen. And then in verse 5, verse 5 is like this, 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 uh, this um, hinge point. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. It's, you got to read it really closely. When Jesus saw whose faith? The friends, right? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are are forgiven. It's just like Jesus in this just like crazy moment, and I don't, I don't even know what to do with this theologically. Like Jesus looks at the four friends. He's like, I see you, right? Like I, I, I get it. I admire the way that you brought your friend to me. I honor that. I'm inspired by that. You get it. You get who I am. And then he just looks at the friend. Son, your sins are forgiven. This is the first time the word faith is used in Mark's gospel, and I love that we do not get a snippet more about the friends right? When he saw the friend's faith. Well, what about their faith, right? We don't get it. They're not verbalizing anything. They're not saying anything. We know nothing about their faith, like their background. We know nothing about um, their intellect. We know nothing about them in that regard. And Jesus is like, I see your faith, right? And this is what it teaches us. Faith is not primarily knowledge, but it's an active trust, right? Faith is not primarily about this knowledge, these things that we know about Jesus, but rather it's an active trust that Jesus is sufficient to meet the needs that we have. And we'll get more specific about what those needs are. And so he looks at the four and he says, I see your faith, I'm inspired. How does he reward their faith? With forgiveness. But, but let's pause here because this is actually where it gets a little bit awkward. Jesus looks at a paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven. Like it's this moment, right? Like, what? He, he can't even, like, he's literally came in on a mat and you forgave his sins? I almost imagine the four friends looking down like, Jesus, forgiving him sounds great. Our friend is really messed up. That's, he, he's going to need that eventually. But that seems like a bonus. We traveled all this way. We ripped this roof off this house because we thought you might heal our friend and make him whole. Like, if you see our faith, you know what our faith really wants? Our faith wants you to heal our friend. And you sort of imagine this paralyzed man. I'm guessing this is a, a sort of new low for him, right? Like the, maybe the shame of, of being brought down into this, into this room 
Or maybe hope, like he's being lowered in and he's like, this is going to be it. Like, this is my moment. Like, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to live this way. Maybe he's shocked. Maybe he's angry. Maybe he's confused. But my guess is this is a moment for him of like deep despair. Imagine you heard echoes of a, of a healer, a miracle worker that could do something in your midst. And guess what? He forgives your sin, right? That's like it doesn't even, the, the narrative doesn't even make sense in that way. All I ever wanted was for my legs to work, and this guy just forgave my sins. And so let's pause here and ask this question. What is this really teaching us? What is this really teaching us? Because I think there's, there's probably, you know, a lot of things that it's teaching us, but I think Jesus is, in essence, is saying, as, as you and I are reading it, it's this. We're all broken, right? Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We are all broken. That's why we can so easily find ourselves in the midst of this story. And so if you look at these, these ways of, of that we need healing, maybe you think about the, the, the physical nature of it, right? Like no one would come in here and say, I have the perfect body, right? Like nobody says that. If you are, congratulations. Wait till you turn 32, okay? Everything starts to hurt at 32. I don't know what it is. And so if you're older and you're, you think I'm wrong, sorry. Um, but nobody, nobody looks at themselves and say, like, I'm perfect in that way. Like we have setbacks along the way physically, right? emotionally. So much has happened to us. Even if I think about the last two years, like from an emotional standpoint, there's been a weight or a burden that has, has weighed on us, not to mention the emotional burden um, that we have from um, living in this world and being a child. Or I think mentally, life has this way on us of, of mentally where there's a disconnect between our heart and our head. Like we, we know things here, but they just can't reach here. And so mentally, there's like a gap. We have this black and white thinking, and it's just so difficult. And then spiritually, right? And spiritually, in, in some ways, what we're finding in this story is that the spiritual, um, the other things are a symptom of the spiritual disconnection or the detachment that we have from our relationship with God. That sin has crept into our lives and, and in some ways, maybe you look at the last couple of years and say, well, I, you know, actually, sin makes a lot of sense to me. Like on a systemic level, on a personal level, it actually makes a lot more sense to me because I've seen such great brokenness over the last year and a half. Uh, the great reformer Martin Luther, uh, he once called um, sin, the, the, the Latin is like incurvitus in se, which is, is like sin is a life turned inward upon itself. Sin is, um, is when one is so consumed with the self, it cannot bear to see outside of itself. And so there's real tragedy in our world, right? Like, I, I, wanna, I want us to sort of feel the, the weight of the tragedy of our world. And so there's a, Jesus is in, in one sense saying we're broken. But he's saying something else to this paralytic that is so key for us to um, attack our own motivations and to live a life that's whole and flourishing. And it's this. Oftentimes, there's a separation between what we want and what we need, right? So deep within us, we feel this unsettledness, and we think what we want is going to make us whole, and Jesus comes along and says, no, that's not it. You actually need something more. And so the, for the paralytic, deep down, uh, he believes, if I could walk again, then I would be set for life, right? That's like undoubtedly so. If he could walk again, everything would be right again. He'll never complain. He'll have a new life. Everything will be perfect. But imagine how harsh what Jesus is saying. This morning, I, I walk, it was pretty cold this morning when I woke up and I walk outside and I saw a guy uh, underneath his blanket and like his blanket was clearly not big enough. Imagine if I went over to him and been like, 
hey, hey, I, I know exactly what you need. I know that you're cold, but you really need Jesus. You're like, what is wrong with you, right? What, what is wrong with you? Like, I need a blank. That would be offensive. But Jesus is actually teaching us some really deep wisdom here. Jesus is saying, I can heal your body, but that doesn't mean you're not going to be unhappy again. And, he, and, and hear me well, he does end up healing. We'll get to that part of the narrative. He does end up healing his physical body, and, and I believe that's why we should pray and we should seek God and we could ask him to, to do these things and, 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 and he could be at work in our midst through his kingdom and the church can meet needs and we should be doing those things. But Jesus is showing us a deeper spiritual need in, in, that we have. Our dissatisfaction in this world runs deep. Um, I, I heard, um, one time I heard Tim Keller tell this great story about um, an article he read in, I, the magazine is called The Village Voice, uh, which I think is published right around here. Um, but uh, there was an article by the name, um, by, by a woman named Cynthia Hymel. And I've never heard of her, but apparently she was kind of a socialite and she had interacted with uh, several people who were struggling actors or actresses. And so they, they, um, these actresses or actors that were trying to make it were working in restaurants and they're, you know, just trying to usher in the theaters like you guys do. And, and then they, they broke through and they became famous. And, um, and w- one of the things she, t- the ways that she talked about um, how these people became sort of um, obsessed, stressed, driven, right? And so pre-getting famous, they were just like working all the time, grinding, easily upset, But then she said, um, when they actually got the fame they were longing for, in her words, she says, they became insufferable, unstable, angry, and manic. Not just arrogant, but actually much more unhappy than they were before. And this is a direct quote from her in, in the magazine. She says, I pity celebrities. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. Once they became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, the fame that was going to make everything okay and make their lives bearable and give them happiness had happened, but nothing in their life changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. And then she goes on in the article to say this, I think when God wants to play a real rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. I was like, oh, that's it. Like that's, that's the separation. That's the gap where we'd say, if I had whatever, I would be whole again. I would be complete. If I, had, if I had no physical pain, I would be whole. If I just got out of the city, I would be whole. If I just owned an apartment in the city, I would be whole. If I could just find that one person, I would be whole. But the story is saying, no, 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 no. You and I are not going deep enough. Let's go deeper Let's find that our deepest need is not physical, emotional, or mental, but it's ultimately spiritual. And I know even, even now you may be saying, mm, no, no, you're wrong. Like, I, I trust me. Like, it's, it's very real. Like, I, I, I feel that in my soul right now. I want, I want you to continue to listen, listen to the tension that we're finding here in the text because the religious leaders are another character in this story that um, really show us a level of cynicism or pride. And maybe this, is, maybe this is you at work here. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there in verse 6, questioning in their heart, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that thus they questioned within themselves and said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? So Jesus is actually asking 
a very confusing question. I actually, I've, I've studied this text all week, and I'm like, I still don't really know the answer to the question, right? What is easier, to say his sins are forgiven or to get up? Well, in one sense, uh, it's easier to say his sins are forgiven, right? It's, it's not tangible. You're like, it's an invisible thing. You're like, it's easier to, to say that. that. That is clearly the answer. But the other statement is, is verifiable, but will it happen? And Jesus is actually like uh, creating momentum in his talk, right? And he, what he's about to, uh, he's setting up this, this, um, this tension to say neither are easy. Actually, they're, they're, they're both really hard and no one can do this thing. The visible or the invisible except me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like setting up a tension. They're like, I don't know. And he's like, watch me. I'll do both. I can heal this man's body. I can do the visible thing which means I also have the authority to do the invisible thing, to forgive. And this is the moment where the Pharisees are just absolutely outraged. Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And the, the, the irony about this statement is that, actually, from a biblical perspective, the Pharisees are kind of right. This is actually the way the Bible presents the idea of forgiveness. In, in Psalm 51, um, verse 4, David says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Against you only have I sinned. Right? If you, if you need forgiveness, you need God to forgive you. So it's sort of like this. Say, say during the fourth song um, that we're going to sing today, I just walk over to Brandon, who's standing right here, and I just punch Brandon right in the face, all right? Watch out, Brandon. I'm coming for you, all right? And what if Keith, who's playing keys, he comes over, and he, like, breaks us up, and he's just like, guys, stop fighting. What are you, what are you doing? And we, like, calm down, and then we all look at each other, and Keith looks at me, and he says, Russell, I forgive you. <laughs> Brandon's like, what? What are you talking about? You didn't just get punched in the face. I just got punched in the face, right? You cannot forgive. Keith can't forgive Russell, right? Keith can't forgive Russell, but Brandon can forgive Russell because Russell is the one that wronged Brandon. And it's, it's the same way. The Pharisees are actually building up this like, decent logic here. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And um, Jesus is like, mm-hmm. Like, your, your logic is, is really great. You're on the right track. You're saying the right thing. And all of a sudden, like, this onion gets peeled off. We're understanding again. Like, what is Jesus saying? This passage is way more than about Jesus healing and forgiving. Jesus is actually making a claim at his divinity. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. And here's the problem with the Pharisees. The religious leaders are absolutely missing it. This passage is so beautiful. There's so many amazing things happening in this passage where we're finding Jesus in people's midst, meeting their tangible needs right in front of them, and other people around wanting to raise the bar, right? Jesus uh, comes announcing his kingdom, and he's like wanting to expand everything and say, everyone is welcome. Come on in. And what are the religious leaders doing? Saying like, no, you can't come in. They're just policing everything. And what are they doing? They're idolizing the past. And they're carrying with them a measure of cynicism and pride, right? Jesus wants to come in their midst and do a work of restoration and recreating what God came to do in the beginning, and they cannot handle it. And what does Jesus want to do? He wants to come and forgive. God's forgiveness is on display here. 
and they're a group of religious people that want to raise the bar. And the thing about forgiveness is that it, it can't hang around legalism. It just doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't come in conjunction with legalism. Now, Miroslav Volf is a, a theologian, and I'm going to say this slowly so you can grasp it, but this is the religious leaders really defined in a succinct way. It says, forgiveness, and maybe you see yourself here, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners, right? We take ourselves and we say, I'm a part of the community, they're out, and you know what? I'm a part of the community, and I'm not sinful. I cannot be associated with that level of language or, or um, pressure, and only God forgives sins, right? That's what we're learning in the passage, and so what does Jesus do, this, this brilliant thing? He looks over at the man, and he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man stands up, he's healed, he's forgiven, both things, and he walks out, he walks out, and the text says, the crowd was amazed. We've never seen anything like this. And so, before I said the Bible, or maybe this story is sort of like that chalk line, right? It's giving you a way of seeing a true north. It's presenting a, a mirror that you put up against your face. So who do you resonate with in the story? This will kind of be our application for today. Who do you resonate with in the story? What about the friends, right? The paralytic has surrounded himself with community. And maybe that's what you find yourself being drawn to, either uh, desiring more community, more people in your life who care and check on you, or maybe the other way around where you, you'd say, you know what, I'm actually really, um, I need to be a better friend. I need to plug in more. I need to give back more to my friends. Here's four friends that trudge a hole in the roof, and um, though they don't, we don't know anything about them, Jesus saw their faith, right? He sees these ones with determination and persistence. And without these friends, this man is not healed or forgiven. They're desperately, uh, this man is desperately in need of his friends. Are you that kind of friend? Uh, earlier this week, um, on Thursday night, my wife was not feeling very good, and she had texted a, a few people, and it's like 8.30 p.m., and we hear a buzzer go off. And I just walk over, and I'm like, who is it? And they're like, delivery, and I'm like, not for me, see you later. Um, and like it buzzes again, delivery, I'm like, it's not for me, see you later. He's like, wait, wait, it is for you. I'm like, uh, okay, fine, I don't care. Everyone, we buzz everyone in anyway, don't lie. And so just buzz them in. Next thing I know, it's like this care package for her. And it's just tea and ginger shots and kombucha, even though kombucha is gross, ramen, a cold brew, and it's gross. And it's just, it's so, it was so simple, right? Like, so simple, but it just made the evening, right? Like, that's like a small thing um, in, in, in our world and in our lives. But the thing that comes to mind is the level of persistence of a friend. And I think that some of us, when we read this passage, we need to hear, like, this is an invitation to be a friend in that way. A friend that tells people the truth in love. A, a friend that is present in the midst of brokenness. A friend that just says, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to sit with you in this, in this season. And I think that there's um, maybe even more of an importance of doing this right now in this particular season, um, hopefully this sort of post-COVID moment, but also um, as we head into the winter and the holidays where 
seasonal depression um, kicks in, um, social isolation, loneliness. And, uh, there's been a lot of research done around the level of grief that people experience around um, the holidays, and people can become keenly aware of the losses that they've experienced in their life. And so this is a moment where we can evaluate, am I a persistent friend in this way? What about, um, maybe you don't find yourself like where the friend is, but maybe you're like the paralytic, where you'd say, um, this whole time, what you're actually saying in your head is like, um, no one, you don't like have any idea about how broken I am. Like you have no idea what I've gone through, what I've experienced, and, and what it would take for me to find a level of wholeness because there's actually a weight of brokenness and imperfection in my life. Like uh, physically, um, maybe you stand in here and you're like, I, I actually need that. Like I need physical healing. I can feel the pain in my body right now. Or like you live with a lifelong condition, right? What about emotion, emotional? where you just say, the season has been too much, like I'm coming down off of all of it, and it's just a weight I can't bear anymore. Um, maybe even as I was talking about um, uh, the winter coming, like there's a mental, uh, a mental barrier there where the darkness of the winter, like I hate walking home in the dark at 5 p.m. That's the worst, right? And so maybe you feel that weight. Um, I would, we'd love to pray with you today so we could, um, so we could bring that to God and, and ask, God, could you do something about that in our midst? Maybe you resonate with that. Or finally, maybe you resonate with these um, Pharisees. And I think regardless of your you know, religious upbringing or background, we all actually have a sort of inner Pharisee, right? We all have that, um, that inner judgmentalness or the cynicism that we're pretty harsh towards people. And uh, in the midst of that, we actually miss the beauty, right? We miss the beauty of uh, forgiveness and um, presence, right? We look at those that are worshiping and we evaluate and examine how things are going rather than just being um, present because we're actually idolizing a, a past way of being. And I think that that, um, that type of um, like pharisaical nature just begins to seep into our lives slowly. But here's the beauty about wherever you find yourself today. I promise you, you're not Jesus in the story. That's the one character you don't get to be. But Jesus says, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven, right? Forgiveness is actually de- Jesus' default setting. And it was, it's free for us, that, that level of forgiveness, it's free. But for Jesus, it wasn't free. For God, it cost him the life of his son. And so maybe the best way to look at it as we kind of go into communion here is maybe the best way to look at this story for right now, today, this morning, is to place yourself in the position of the paralytic. Why? It's the most vulnerable place to be. Here you are, broken, dependent on other people around you, and to hear that you have need, but to also hear, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Right, Psalm 86, 5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who care upon you. And so when we get, when we get into the communion here in just a second, we're actually coming to that moment where, where we're actually understanding. It's like we're, we're actually responding to what Jesus is, is saying. And the, what Jesus is, is getting at with the, the religious leaders is really key, Right? Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He's doing miracles. He's doing things in their midst. But Jesus is actually putting sort of a down payment on his death here, right? Remember chapter 3, verse 6? They're plotting to kill him. And so it's almost like the shadow of the cross reaches all the way back through Mark to chapter 2, where you're saying, like, Jesus actually already knows the trajectory of what he's about to go through. But he came to do that, to heal, to pay, to secure, to save the deeper spiritual need that we have.
Paul says this in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. And so, Father, I um, thank you for this passage of Scripture where there's so much movement, there's so many things going on, there's so many things that swirl around in our head about um, who we might be, what we need. Um, and I pray right now, even as we, um, as we finish our day, that you would strip us of pride, strip us of the cynicism, take away from us the, the judgment so that we could get a really clear picture of who you are and we could respond. Even if, even if that means we're like, I'm, this is not for me, I'm going to walk away from this, but that we could get a picture of who you really are, what you really came to do, and that we could see that that still matters today. We want to see that level of healing physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually. We want to see you do that in our midst, and we believe that you can. And so, God, as we come to the, the, the cup and the bread today, may we be reminded of your good news, the things that you've done, and may we live in the shadow of your cross, knowing that we could not fix, save, heal ourselves but we rest on you perfectly for everything that we need. It's in your name we pray. Amen.